Welcome to the Spring Office Hours podcast, episode 39, Spring for GraphQL. Normally, we intro the show during our live stream, but we had some technical difficulties today, so I'm doing this in post. This was a really fun episode to record as we talked about the recent news in the Spring ecosystem, answered your questions, and covered the topic of Spring for GraphQL. I hope you enjoy this episode, and if you do, please do us a favor and leave us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on. I hope you enjoy the show, and as always, happy coding. We might as well just get started. Uh, we, we have all been having technical difficulties today. Uh, Dan rebooted his. I had to reboot my camera. All the things have been going wrong. And, you know, of course, when Dan rebooted his computer, uh, he has all the updates. So I've been trying to stall, but I miss you guys too much. I miss you too much. So here we are. It's it's spring office hours, but it's like not fully spring office hours yet. So apologies for the technical difficulties. We're streaming on a day that we nor don't normally stream. Uh, I'm happy to see you. I'm happy to see all of you. I'm happy that you're here. Uh, and I'm just waiting for my partner. My partner is still dealing with some updates. So we'll, we'll get going here pretty soon. So in the meantime, how about you tell me where you're from? Say hello. I'm glad that you're here. Uh, and, and if you get a chance, let me know, what are you working on? Tell me what you're working on. And we'll see if we can get Dan to join uh, in the meantime. Simon, thank you. Thank you. We don't. Technology is hard. And we're all getting ready to travel. That's why we're, we're streaming a day early. Uh, because both of us are traveling tomorrow. It's a travel day. So look at this. Hello from Morocco. So glad that you're here. Interesting, uh, wondering if we're going to have the same audience. I see Simon here, our regulars. I see Solitary Turian is here, another one of our regulars. Hello. And uh, yeah, it's a different day. It's a different time. So wondering if we'll have uh, our same crew, if we'll get a, a new one. Look at this. Some of our regulars are still joining. Hello, Anbu. And Paul Harding, thank you. Canadian living in Utah. Thanks for joining. It has been a busy time over here. My voice, again, is gone from all coaching of the soccer. Uh, six games over the weekend. And, oh, look at this. My friend is in. We're back to full strength. Just like that. We're back. Dan, I couldn't wait any longer. We had, we had the loop going, and I was just like, look, I miss everybody too much. Let's see where everybody's at. Let's see how people are doing. We've got people from Morocco. We've got people from, I, I can't tell the flag here. Uh, hello, Vincent, or Vicente Rails, not Vincent, Vicente Rails, VI Center Rails. We could pronounce that a few different ways, but yeah, we're, we're going. We've got people joining us. We have some of our regulars and some new faces during this new time. How are you doing? The reboot, is the upgrades done? Yes, I did one of those. Oh, your yeah. audio is all off. You sound like you're in a can. Oh, boy. Just one of those days. <laughs> yeah, we'll get it taken care of. Uh, Paul says he saw your vacation pics. Hope you feel rested. We got folks saying hello, hello. All right. How about now? There we go. 
There we go. Sounds great. Dan became Batman. All right. Yeah, it was one of those was things. Camera wasn't working. I was, for a week. I was gone for a week, and things just didn't want to like reboot. So I rebooted my machine, and of course, the updates kicked in right as we were about to go live. So fun times. Awesome, awesome. Uh, yes, the Dev Nexus talks are up. Uh, I had I had technical difficulties there as well. Yeah, but that's okay. We just kind of we wing it. We go with it, and uh, yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. Cool. So we have not been around for a couple of weeks, right? We haven't. We, we missed last week and we were here two weeks ago. That was right. Yes. Um, Look at this coming yeah. out of the gate. Satish has a great question. He says, could you provide a guideline on migrating Spring Boot application with Data JPA to GraphQL? Oof. Well, we are going to this. talk about Spring for GraphQL today. So, yes, let's uh, save that question and we'll get yes. to that. I'm going to put a pin in it. I put it, There you go. You're, you beat me to it. Yep. Cool. Um, we have so, yeah. together. I missed you. Yeah, I missed you too. I've had some um, one-off conversations in the meantime, uh, Alexander being one of them, where in this mode, this office hours, it's not just the stream and now the podcast. We want to give you the things that we wish we had. We want to give you access. We want to give you insights. And we want to give you an extended team like we wish we had. I felt like I had. But I want you to have the same thing. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so today we're going to talk about Spring for GraphQL. That's kind of our main topic. Uh, but we have some things to talk about as far as like what's new in the Spring ecosystem. A couple of news stories I found that I thought it'd be interesting to talk about. And obviously, as always, we will take your questions. So please get those questions in. If we don't get to them today, we do save them, put them in notes for a future episode. And I'll say we've been, we've been doing a little planning for some upcoming episodes. And we have some ideas for some upcoming episodes. But we also have a special guest in mind. Uh, that we're talking with for sometime around the end of June. So that should be a real fun show. So yeah, we're planning on um, upcoming episodes. If you have ideas or topics you'd like us to cover, uh, feel free to, to shoot us a message um, at the real Dan Vega at Deshaun on Twitter. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. That This show is for you guys. So let us know what you're interested in hearing about. Yeah. We're here for you. We want to help you move forward wherever you're at. We'll meet you there. We want to help you move forward. All right. Why don't we um, kick things off then? I will go ahead and share my screen. So let me do that. And then we'll try and walk through this for everyone who's joining us on the podcast, on the treadmill, uh, in the car, on the ride to work, wherever you're joining us from, we'll try and explain things to you as we share them. So I got a couple of items that I wanted to talk to everyone about before we get into the main topic. So obviously, Spring 1 at VMware Explore is happening this year, uh, August 21st through the 24th in Las Vegas. I believe discounted pricing, Deshaun, is through the end of the month. Yes. Um, that's our early bird pricing. So 
go ahead and get registered if you if you know you're going to go and you you obviously should you should join Deshaun and I there uh, go ahead and sign up now register now because you'll get the best pricing now so yeah there's going to be a lot of stuff happening at uh, Explore um, one of which is Spring One which is kind of like day zero stuff so uh, I know we're going to be doing some things some sessions we have a whole bunch planned. But I also thought like we we were gonna do this at Spring One in San Francisco. We need to plan a couple of things. I think one, we should obviously plan for doing a live Spring Ops Hours podcast. So we'll have to figure out like the best day and time to do that. Um, probably not on day zero with all the spring content. Maybe we'll try and mix it in on one of the VMware Explorer days, like day one, day two, something like that. Um, what what are your thoughts on that? Should we do like a normal show or should this just be maybe like a live Q&A? Uh, hopefully we get some people in the audience to ask some questions. What are your thoughts on that? I like what we did at DevNexus. Just do plan on doing a regular show just on location and uh, and then we can go from there. But that I think cool. is a good start. Let's just plan it that way. And if we have the ways and means of doing a live audience, that would be fun. But yeah, cool. let's plan plan for plan A. Uh, I like the live show on remote and then, yeah, we get feedback or, or customers that or an audience. That'd be great. Yeah. Okay. So that's one thing. And then two, I definitely like to do a run on the strip, but August in Vegas, this is going to have to be still. an early run. <laughs> Absolutely. So I need, we need our early birders to get up early with us and join us for a run on the strip. Cause I'm not running at eight o'clock. This is going to be, be like a six, seven o'clock run. Uh, so some new news on that front. Have you signed up for your race yet? I have not, and I am not doing it. Um, vacation and just things tripped me up. I didn't get in the training I needed. Mm -hmm. uh, I ran eight miles today at lunch, which was good, but I am not ready for 13. So okay. I'm that plan's not gone. Uh, it's just going to be pushed out for probably later this year. So I'll okay. find one. I, I have one. This year. I have one. Ooh. I'd like to put Ooh. on your on your radar. All right. Philadelphia. Philadelphia. November 19th. Oh, November. I yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so um, I have committed to a program uh, where I will be training for the 26.2. Uh, wow. Starting real soon. Uh, wow. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not running eight miles at a time yet. So I'm <laughs> way off. Uh, so I'll be trying to train for twice the distance. Uh, yeah, in less time. I like yeah, that. Yeah, just put it on the radar. I will. I will. November 19th. Although I, so I don't know what Philadelphia is like in November. I know Here's Cleveland. The thing. I know what Cleveland's like in in November. Yeah, similar, right? You're about yeah. the same. Uh, and here's what Cold. I'm thinking. I'm thinking if we're both there, we could probably work out some kind of event around that time. Yeah, that'd be fun. We have plenty of time to do it. So I'm just throwing it out there. All right. I like it. I like it. So let's, um, we're just putting that on the, throwing this out there. We'll do a spring office hours at spring one at VMware Explorer. We will do a, some kind of run, probably a shorter run. We're not going to run a marathon at, at, on the strip, but a nice like 5k on the strip sounds like a lot of fun. Um, especially knowing that we can get it done early and, and yep. be done with it. So uh, we'll work on those. So that's spring one at VMware Explorer. Please go ahead and register. Uh, I'm really excited. Some of the emails have been going out already about sessions getting accepted. Uh, so I'm excited to see 
who's going to be there. I can't wait for this event. Um, it's been on my radar for a while, so I'm, I'm excited for this. Please go ahead and register for that. We mentioned it before, but the DevNexus videos, the recordings, are up on their YouTube channel. So if you haven't had a chance, go ahead and check that out. I got to see a few sessions live, but obviously you can't you can't get to all of them. So I was there, and I'm still excited about all these recordings because now I get to catch Absolutely. some of the, the sessions that I wasn't able to attend to. Um, obviously, there's there's just so many great speakers at this. Um, I, I, there's probably not a bad session here. So go ahead and check them out. The one I'm going to recommend uh, right off the bat is uh, the keynote by Arun Gupta from IBM. We were front and center for that. Uh, that was just an awesome keynote about um, kind of different um, skills that you can have that aren't related to coding, right? Uh, so go ahead and check that out. I can't remember the name of the, the exact name of that. Do you remember the name? I'm 10X, looking for it here. How to be a 10X developer. I don't know if that... Or something uh, like let's, that. Let's see. Keynote. Uh, five skills to force multiply your technical talent. That one. Oh, Arun, that was awesome. Thank you so much for that. Um, I'm going to watch that again. Uh, so check that out. So DevNexus YouTube channel. Um, also check out the calendar here. Um, so today is Monday, uh, May 15th. We had some things happen last week. So we weren't here last week. So we'll cover those real quick. Um, so we see some micrometer releases, tracing, reactor, Spring Framework 6.0.9 was released. So that was released on Thursday. This Thursday, Spring Boot 3.0.7 will be released, and that will include all of the changes from Spring Boot, Spring Framework 6.0.9. So that was a big release last, last week. Spring data release, um, whole, a whole bunch of releases there on Friday. This week, uh, Spring Security 6.1.0 was released yesterday. Uh, Spring Authorization Server 1.1.0. So, uh, like, really glad to see that continue to progress. Um, some exciting things happening there. Two releases for Spring for GraphQL, which we're going to talk about later in this episode. Uh, Spring Session, and again, a whole bunch of a few Spring Boot releases on Thursday. Anything really sticking out to you there, Deshaun? No, it's all good. It's all good stuff. Uh, I've been doing a lot of work around spring workloads, running on different flavors of Kubernetes. So all these packages, all these projects that just got releases, I'm going to be adopting them all and taking them for a spin real soon. Cool. Um, next week, we'll talk about Spring for Shell a little bit. On Monday, a new version of that comes out, so we'll mention that. As spring well. Shell, not Spring for Shell. Spring, spring Shell. Shell, Spring yes. for GraphQL this week. Yes. Um, okay, a couple of topics I wanted to talk about. I think we'll skip this one because I was a little late, but I do want to talk about two things I found around the web right now. Um, and that is, uh, the first one is the Spring Framework Reference Documentation Update. Have you seen this blog post? Yes, absolutely. Pretty exciting stuff. So I'm not going to read this word for word. I'm going to read through here a little bit, um, just so we can kind of share this. But starting with uh, version 6.0.9, the Spring Framework Reference Documentation is now generated with Antora. Um, this is a new project to me, um, but I... 
This is um, for building, uh, this says a multi-repository documentation site generator for tech writers who love writing in ASCII docs. So if you love writing in ASCII doc, this seems like uh, a very popular project. Um, the big change, uh, this brings in a whole bunch of improvements. That's why the switch was made. Um, for a long time, the Spring Framework reference docs had two versions, a single page and one multi-page. The single page was very large, but often preferred because you were able to search through it using something like Control-F. The multi-page provided structure, but was difficult to navigate around and search. Um, so skipping through this documentation again for everybody on the podcast, we will link to this in the release notes or in the show notes. Um, They've switched to this because we get a whole bunch of improvements. What are those improvements? Um, the first thing to notice is there's a drop down to select the version in the right hand corner. So no longer do you have to like search in the, you know, search in Google for like a specific version of the documentation or go to the root and look for the, change of version you know, number. Yeah, change of version number. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So there's a whole bunch of things you had to like hoops you had to jump through to like switch a version number. Now you can just kind of quickly switch version numbers in the right-hand corner, which is really nice. Also, the search box is in the top right-hand corner. Is now integrated search feature using Algolia Doc Search. And if you've been around the web, you've probably used Algolia at some point. Um, it's a really nice search feature, feature to search across documentation. So now you don't have to go search Google for it. You can actually just be in the documentation and search for something there. Um, so that's really great. In the same area, you'll also see an edit this page links, which makes it easy to submit a documentation update for that specific page. I think it was a little bit harder to say like, you know, where am I submitting an update for in previous versions of the documentation? Yep. So that's really exciting. Um, I'm, I have a version of it here up on screen for everyone watching on the live stream, which if you're on the podcast, you can join us on YouTube for the live stream. So you can see here is the version in the upper right hand corner. It will show you which version you can edit the page. You can also search or command K to bring up a search and start searching for something and it will bring up, you know, a certain amount of results for you. I think the blog post associated with this said, it's like the last five results, but um, it's just a really big improvement. And yeah. I love how everything's laid out here. Everything's more search friendly. You're able to jump the between versions. So huge kudos, kudos to the spring team um, for getting this out there. Yes, indeed. Lots, lots of fanfare around this. Lots, lots. You're hearing good things about it. Hearing good things. All right. Um, Cool. Another article I wanted to link to real quick was, oh, I think I already had this up here. Um, so there's an article, and again, we'll leave this in the show notes, called Working on an Unfamiliar Code Base. So I figured we could talk about this really quickly, Deshaun, but I think this is a fantastic topic for its own show. Um, but maybe we can just kind of bring this to light. So yeah. go, go read this uh, particular uh, article because I think it's something that, you know, we all do, whether you're, you're on a large team or you want to contribute to an open source project. How do you like mentally and, you know, 
programmatically tackle the project that you're jumping into. Um, so the, uh, the author here is, uh, his name, it's right here, Nicholas Frankel. He's a oh, developer yeah. advocate with 15 years of experience. Um, where is Nicholas through? I'm not sure. Um, so he goes through and talks about like, hey, um, if you're jumping onto a new project or you're jumping into a new um, you know, repository, how do you kind of handle it? Uh, I think this example, while working for Hazelcast, um, he kind of found himself in this situation. Um, so I think obviously one of the big things for me and one of the big things that we can talk about here is documentation. So whether you're jumping into a new project or whether you're the author of a new project, if you want to get help on that project, uh, documentation is going to be key. How many times have you jumped into a new project and saw no documentation and said, nope, I'm out of here, <laughs> right? Um, what, are, what are some things when what you're looking for if you jump into kind of a new repo? Right, there's a, I want to get my head wrapped around what's, what's going on. How are things done? Uh, like what's the default um, branch? Like first thing, uh, how are uh, PRs pulled in? Is there a review process? So I like to, from the repository, like get my lay of the land, see who's doing what, uh, mm -hmm. maybe read the names, see the contributors. Uh, but then I kind of look for the, the patterns uh, that might exist around like, again, the branches, how things are being released. Yeah. And maybe uh, how does it get to production? After I do a commit, what does it look like after that? So those are all things that I try to look at uh, and understand before I, uh, even clone the repository. Yeah. Um, but then also things like uh, the patterns that I see in code. Uh, are there GitHub actions or is there any report uh, that looks like it's auto-generated in that code base? So yeah, yep. try to get my understanding. Uh, maybe look at the Palm file or the uh, Gradle build file uh, yep. and see like what's all happening. And it helps give me a, a little bit of an understanding of the landscape. Yeah, and I know this is something we've talked about a lot on this show, but um, as as a developer, you know, as I after I'm done with that and I want to clone it onto my machine, documentation is really key there. Like, how do I get this up and running? Uh, something we've talked a lot about is, you know, all those external dependencies. Is there a Docker container for it? Is there a Docker Compose file to to get this up and running? Is there a container somewhere else that I can easily spin up? Because I don't want to spend three days trying to just set this project up before I even can run it, right? If I can just clone your repository and simply run it uh, through, you know, if there's a, a little bit of an, an instruction there to tell me how to do it, that's great. But as much minimal effort on my part as there is to get it up and running, the better. Um, that'll get me in and writing code faster as a developer. So I think that's the biggest thing I look for is like, how do I get this up and running? What is the documentation like? Hopefully, you know, in, in organizations, there's, you know, they've taken some time to produce some kind of onboarding documentation. Um, and then, as you said, I, that, that was very interesting what you said, like, how do you get this to production? Because that, that tells you a lot about the software and like the components that it integrates with. Uh, so that's a good one as well. And then I think just um, once you have those pieces in place, then you can, then you can start working on issues, right? Like, um, I don't know about you, but I, I've always found it easier to either be on code reviews or pick up issues to get familiar with the code base before I jump in and have to like write a whole new feature, right? 
Yes, there's there's many, many ways to get there, but there's yep. just no shortcuts. Uh, the idea of going back and reading other uh, closed issues, seeing some diffs between mm -hmm. issues that have been uh, pulled in, PR'd uh, into the default branch or the main branch. Those are some other strategies for understanding and, and what to do. Yep. Cool. So I thought we would just go ahead and share this out again. A nice little blog post, but I really love the title, Working on an Unfamiliar Code Base. Yep. Um, maybe we can use that as kind of a topic for a future episode. So it's all unfamiliar. In, let us there, there's yeah. no code base. It's even the one that I wrote last week. <laughs> unfamiliar. Yes. Yes. Uh, I completely agree. I always come across <laughs> my previous repos and go, wait, what was I thinking? <laughs> it's all unfamiliar. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then I, I am going to link to this other one. I know Josh did a, an entire breakdown of this. Uh, he did a live stream on it, but it's, a, yeah, it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's been a hot topic, mm -hmm. right? Oh, so, wait, not that one. We, we, we had a comment in here kind of, uh, of all the articles around migration from micro segmentation back to monolithic serverless, da, da, da. Yep. like yep. it's been a hot topic. I've watched the Twitch streams, uh, YouTube streams. Everybody's talking about it. Everybody has their own take. Yep. Uh, there are some small few that are like, ha ha, I was right. <laughs> and I'm defending my, my decision and here's right. the, the evidence. But the bottom so, line is we have to. So let me just back up too for yeah. those on the podcast. I'm showing a article from Prime Video um, which is Amazon Prime's video service. Uh, the article is called Scaling Up the Prime Video Audio and Video Monitoring Service and Reducing Costs by 90%. The idea was they moved from a distributed microservice architecture to a monolith application and help achieve higher scale resilience and reduce costs. And so, yeah, as you said, this has been a hot topic across the entire internet. Um, and there are, there are opinions flying in from everywhere. And I think that, I think I just wanted to bring it up to say like, okay, we, there's one article on there. Let's not just, <laughs> let, let's pump the brakes a little and say, okay, there's, we, we are not going to change architectures across the entire globe of the internet because of one architecture or because of one article. But it does go to show that like, there is not one size fits all for every application out there, right? Like, these architectures are meant to be decided on based on the needs of your application. So one architecture will fit well, one probably will not. Um, and that doesn't mean that neither of them are good. A lot of the topics that we've been doing and we've been hearing in our Spring One tours that we've been doing lately, it's all about people. Right, Nate. Nate lays it out so well. Nate Shuda, our teammate, yes. lays out how important the people part of software and architecture and what we do every day. How important that is. Mm. And the one topic that I can say with confidence: microservice architecture isn't all about performance and and cost. Right. Big part of why we do microservices or why you might want to is because of the agility giving yourself the freedom to release things separately. Yeah. And the other point that I make around this topic is that if they had started with the monolith, if they had started with, we're going to release this one thing and all the people are going to work on this one thing and that one release, they might not be where they are today. 
Mm-hmm. Different things have different strengths at different points in time. And it's always a great idea to review your architecture, review the decisions that you've made to get you here. Right. Review some of those things because, to quote Nate Shuda, the status quo <laughs> is not free. Yep. No, I agree. Um, yeah. And there are just, there were a bunch of interesting takes going around about this, but I, I, I love what you said there. So I'm going to leave it at that, but uh, I will leave a link to this article in the show notes. Wonderful. Cool. Anything else that you wanted to cover kind of going around in the spring ecosystem right now? Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm all in on this doggone AOT processing. Mm-hmm. It just works and it works so well. And, and I have watched it, you know, I've watched it from the beginning when it was uh, early on and there was some kind of rough edges and things took a long time to validate and prove out. But we're so far past that. The developers today don't realize how good they have it with some of these new tools and technologies. And I'm, I can say this, I am very, very upset about the uh, spring IO schedule because the one, the one session that I would have wanted to be front row if it was, I only had one chance, uh, happens to be at the exact same time that I'm presenting. Yeah. That's always how it happens. Uh, Alina from Oracle. And yeah, you know, it is what it is. Uh, but I've, I, I've spent a lot of time doing more and more of this AOT processing uh, and finding out how I can make the, the releases smaller, make them faster, uh, put more automation around it. I was doing a bunch of stuff with uh, Windows. I don't I have this Windows machine here and I haven't been using it for very long. Uh, I don't really know what I'm doing on Windows. So it took a while to get my my native images processed on this Windows machine. And from that and from sharing uh, and my good friend, Simon, you know, from the community here, we were kind of, uh, yeah, just discussing it. And, and I got to stream and I wasn't done. And then five minutes later, hey, it worked automatically. And now I've got these releases for different platforms, operating systems and architectures, all from this Spring Shell program. And then that kind of leads into yeah. uh, one of the other things that's really hot and exciting is the the work that Mark Pollock has been doing. Oh yes, Mark. Mark reached out to me last week. Uh, last week while I was on vacation, and I have to get back to him because I am excited about that. Yes. Yeah, there's so a lot of things it, happening. I almost said, "Hey, we should just there. pull him into the show." I think <laughs> he's free right now. I was going to say, "Hey, why don't you just jump on and and let's talk the talk?" But yeah, that's where my head's at. I'm doing a lot of stuff on Spring on Kubernetes, Spring Cubed, and then the AOT processing these native images on all the platforms because I want everybody to to feel the benefit that the spring team and the Grawl VM team have, have given us. Yep. It's funny you mentioned windows. I was on vacation last week. Do you ever have weird dreams when you're not in your own place, when you're in like a, a weird situation? I was in a different room, right? Than I'm used to sleeping in. And I kid you not, I told my wife this, um, I woke up, I, I thought I had got a new job and they were forcing me to use windows. And I was like really <laughs> upset. <laughs> No, windows is not that bad but for whatever reason i was just like oh no i gotta use windows every day and i'm like why am i dreaming about getting a new job like forcing me to get a new job and use windows so <laughs> yes oh fun stuff i also golfed on vacation last week you know i know you saw that i i have haven't golfed since i was like 17 and i'm an old man now so um it's been a while oh, the old man talk that's really what's been getting to me the old man talk <laughs> um 
I have a birthday coming up next month. Uh, oh man. I just have some I have some goals that I would like to accomplish. Yes. Before I hit this next large milestone that's just feels like it's right around the corner. Yeah, yep, yep. I completely understand. So All right. Philadelphia. Cool. November. Philadelphia, November. I'm going to put that down. And for anybody else, anybody else wants to come and run a race, November. And I'm sure they have like 5Ks, 10Ks, halves, fulls. Usually when you have like a marathon, they have all these like supporting races too. Yeah. Cool. All right. So with that, uh, I think our main topic for today is Spring for GraphQL. Maybe we can kind of jump into it. Um, So I think before we talk about GraphQL, and again, this is really just going to be kind of uh, a quick chat about it, um, kind of an introduction to it, what it is, why you would want to reach for it. It might be good to kind of talk about REST um, and what REST is. Uh, Just at a high overview, in case we have anyone kind of joining us who has not even heard of GraphQL, right? So I think... I think as as developers who have been working on the web for a while, we kind of take it for granted of how building REST APIs is just kind of second nature to us, Deshaun. Um, one of the things that I hear from new developers getting into GraphQL is, oh, GraphQL is like really hard to learn. There's a lot to learn there. And, and the first thing I always say to that is, well, you're learning something new. Obviously, learning something new is always not, not easy. But if you were brand new and I told you to learn REST or GraphQL, I would argue that it would be easier to learn GraphQL first. Again, we kind of take it for granted that REST is just something we've used for a long time now and it's easy, it comes second nature to us. But getting started with REST is, I mean, it's not the easiest thing in the world. There's a lot that goes into like building REST APIs, right? Like understanding status codes and request methods and Oh my gosh, there's a lot that goes into understanding how to build a REST API, including I once you get past CRUD, I don't even still to this day, I always question like, is this a RESTful resource? Uh, am I doing the right thing here? So when we talk about REST, we talk about building APIs in REST. Uh, it's not, for me, it's not like, okay, well, REST is easy and GraphQL is hard. It's just that we know REST. Um, would you agree with that? I agree with that statement completely. Okay. Yeah, because um, that, that's one of the things I hear is like, oh, I don't want to learn GraphQL. It seems, you know, it seems hard to get started with. But again, I would argue that so is REST. Um, so we have this thing called REST that we can use to build APIs with. Why kind of choose something else? Why reach for something else like GraphQL? So I've been, as you know, kind of, on our tour last year and this year, talking about GraphQL um, for it's still a super like hot topic. Year and a half, and and yeah, everybody seems to really enjoy that topic, including you know, I'm flying out to Dallas tomorrow to talk to a group about Tons GraphQL. So I'm excited about that. Um, so I guess the biggest thing to start with is I always need like a why. Like I don't want to just learn something um, to to learn something to we always say resume-driven development. I don't want to learn something just to put it on my resume. I want to learn it because I have a reason to. And so the example that I go to in the presentation that, I, that I've given a couple times now is um, when you're working on your APIs like in a, in a RESTful nature, 
you often have like a single endpoint for a resource. So let's say we're building out um, like an e-commerce platform and we have like a products resource. We have some CRUD methods around products, right? But then we have like all these different teams may come to us. So think of this products as like a microservice and a huge distributed um, architecture. And we have all these different teams coming to us going, hey, I need that product information, but I need it shaped in this way because yep. we need it like this. And so I remember getting these requests all the time. So now you just add a new endpoint and you solve the problem. Now that team gets their data exactly how they want it. The problem is you keep getting these requests from different teams. Uh, they may be working on the web. They may be working on mobile. They may be working on like an IoT device. All these things have different requirements, right? And so you start to get all these, these requests for shaping data and different endpoints in certain ways. And the more that you kind of create these custom endpoints, the more you're kind of creating problems, right? Yep. The more code we write, the more we have to maintain, the more um, kind of issues we may run into. And so what GraphQL does is kind of flip that um, inversion uh, onto the client. And so no longer are the clients going to come to us and say, hey, please provide me an endpoint that looks like this. The client is going to say, I know where the endpoint is for the API. I'm going to hit that, and I'm going to ask for everything that I need and only the things that I need. Um, and that becomes very important because you're going to hit a single endpoint, and you're going to say, hey, for the products, this is the information I need. And on the web, that may be a very large selection set. You may get a whole bunch of data back, which is great because you have the screen real estate, you have the network bandwidth, you have all of those different uh, capabilities on the web. Whereas on a mobile device, you may not need all of that information. I only want these four fields and I want, a very, you know, I want it very fast, right? So each client now says, hey, this is the data I want. This is the shape that I want it in. Um, so that's really the why. If you find yourself in that situation, GraphQL is, is a really great um, solution to that problem. Now, it doesn't come with, um, it's, it's not a one, one solution fits all, and it's not without its challenges. Um, so there are things that you'll have to watch out for. Um, I can say this. More and more of the public consumable APIs, more and more of the ones that I see are shifting away from REST and towards this GraphQL option for exactly that reason. It does force a little bit more insight and uh, time uh, for those client producers. Mm -hmm. But that path to production, the, the resistance uh, to change, changes completely. Right, it is much more self-service for those client developers. Yep. yep. Have we ever had before? My doorbell is ringing. Uh, I'm the only one here. I'm gonna run up and find out who's ringing my doorbell. I'll be back. I right can now. yap all day long about GraphQL. Perfect. It's okay. Perfect. Um, all right. So the next thing, like once we talk about the why, so we we kind of understand like a why of why you might want to introduce GraphQL into your application. Then we talk about okay, well. You know, I mentioned that some people say that there is a learning curve to it. And again, like anything, there's something that you need to learn. There's really two sides to a GraphQL API. There's learning the client side and the server side. So the client side is we're going to construct these queries that are, we're going to issue to the GraphQL API. And that 
kind of uh, format is something you need to get used to. Um, so that it kind of, it's not really SQL, it's not really JSON, uh, it's its own domain specific language, right? So its own DSL. Um, so once you get the uh, hang of writing those queries or mutations or uh, subscriptions, these queries to say, hey, this is the information that I want to get back or post or, or send uh, to create anyone, um, that's the client side. Then on the server side, there is a way to basically resolve that query. So when I send that to the server, how is that going to work? How do I make that um, work on the server side? So there's really two sides of that. And that's where Spring for GraphQL comes in. So Spring for GraphQL uh, provides support for Spring applications built on GraphQL Java. So what's GraphQL Java? GraphQL Java is the implementation of the GraphQL specification in Java. There are some other implementations of the GraphQL specification, um, but this is the biggest one. It's been around since 2015. Uh, it was created by Andy Mark over at Alaskan. Really great project and um, has really been kind of tried and tested over the years. So love GraphQL Java. This is, now the, the important thing to understand about GraphQL Java is that is the server-side implementation only. It does one thing, it does it very well, but it doesn't provide any kind of transport layer. So it's only uh, creating these data resolvers, these data fetchers to say, hey, when you ask for first name on a customer, I know how to resolve that. But there is no way to ask for it over, say, HTTP. And that's where kind of Spring came in. So Spring and uh, GraphQL Java, those two teams, worked really well together to kind of create this Spring for GraphQL project. So that's kind of the history behind it. Um, once, you, once you understand that, then you can get into building um, GraphQL APIs in Spring. So Spring for GraphQL does that. It, it gives us GraphQL Java, but it also gives us those transport layers. Like, hey, if I want to talk to my API over HTTP, WebSocket, RSocket, I can do so. Um, and it makes it very, you know, just like a lot of the Spring projects, it has some conventions. Um, it allows you to configure things that you need to go ahead and configure. But it's really easy to get uh, this up and running. So even in later, ver later, some of the latest versions now, it even creates like the uh, GraphQL folder under source main resources for you. So really what you do is you take uh, your application and you create a schema file. So that's the biggest thing on the server side is understanding how to create a schema. Now the best part about this is it's a pretty simple schema. Uh, it's a, there, there's a pretty simple uh, schema to understand. Uh, there's only a handful of scalar type variable or data types to, to use. Um, once you have those down, you can obviously extend that um, through GraphQL Java's support. Um, but creating a schema is pretty easy. And, and we use a schema-first approach in Spring for GraphQL. So you'll create your application. You'll have your different models of the things in your system, like a product. And then you'll create a schema around that because we, we don't always want to just one-for-one one pull everything from that model. So you'll create a schema. So once you have that in place, you need a way to tie it to, say, a controller. So you, you create a controller, 
And there are annotations that kind of tie each method to whatever query, mutation, subscription you're defining in your uh, schema. So that's kind of the overview of GraphQL. Why, what, when. I have a bunch of, what I'm looking at here on the documentation is the Spring for GraphQL docs. Really good place to start. Go through and kind of just get an overview of what Spring for GraphQL is, how to get started with it, um, different server transports, how the request execution works. There's also some integration with Spring Data. Talk about security, like, okay, there's only a single endpoint now. How do I secure my APIs? Uh, Tie-ins with observability. This works with Spring Boot 3 and GraalVM. There's also a Spring for GraphQL client. So if your API needs to talk to another GraphQL API, there's support for that. Testing is incredibly easy to do. Uh, there's really great testing support out of the box. Talks about what the boot starter is and then some samples. So I have left this in the show notes for today's episode. I also am going to leave a link to my YouTube channel, Shameless Plug. But I have a lot of really good, at least I think, good tutorials on Spring for GraphQL, including like getting started, the client we just talked about, um, how to basically create a GraphQL API in Spring. Uh, so there are some, some really good resources for getting started with that. And my good friend Deshaun is coming back. So we will let him join us in a second. And with that, I think um, I'll just kind of leave that open to some questions. That was my intro. We can obviously dive a little bit deeper and go into some other questions about that, but that's my intro to GraphQL. Are there any kind of top level questions on that? Um, okay, so I'm gonna work down up. I know we had some questions earlier, but this question is something I'm looking at right now. Um, is there any way to tie Spring Security's granted authorities to Spring GraphQL response properties out of the box? Example, only grant access to a certain field if the access token has a certain scope. <laughs> so probably, um, so let's think about this. So normally the way that we're using Spring Security in GraphQL, again, uh, coming back to kind of compare it to REST. So in a REST API, you may have slash products or slash orders, right? And usually we lock those down by resources. So like um, either an admin, you have to have an admin role to, to look at anything under slash products, or we lock down like slash products and the method posts you have to be an admin for, right? So that's how we kind of do it on the REST side. On the GraphQL side, we have just a single endpoint slash GraphQL. So how do you lock down um, who has access to what? Um, so the way that we do that is through um, uh, using inside of the controller or the service through context propagation, we can find out who the particular log, you know, authority is, who the logged in user is, and we can uh, provide access that way. So now what we're asking here is, is there a way to tie granted authorities to the response properties out of the box. So what you want to say is, okay, who am I and what do I have access to? So I am, I'm an admin 
but maybe I'm just like a content, maybe I'm like, maybe I'm like a content moderator and I can like edit certain properties, but not all of the properties. Um, there's probably a way to do that. Uh, so I know one of the GraphQL um, through the annotated controller, there's a there's a way to get a bunch of information. And one of which is, I'm just looking through the documentation, sorry. So there is a way to find out data fetching field selection set. So in the controller, you can probably get access to what they're looking for. So how, the client has said, I want first name, last name, email, and date of birth of this customer, right? And you want to say, mm, I don't know if I want the date of birth to be available to anyone outside of like the admin role. So based on the selection set, then you could probably find out who they are. I would say you'd be able to find out like role-wise and then, and then check it against that, but it's not something I've done. I think the pieces are in place to do that. Um, but I haven't done that, so I'm not positive on that. So sorry for that's a long answer to not answering your question, but hopefully that is a piece. Look in the documentation under annotated controllers and look under the method signature. There is a data fetch and field selection set, which which may help you with that. Sorry, maybe it's just me, but I love it when you explain your thought process like that. This is the kind of thing, like if I was a new developer, I'm new to Spring for GraphQL, and I, ha I would have those same questions. I like that process that you just went through of, because I, I heard more about what was at stake, what was in play yeah. on this question. So I really appreciate that you didn't have a, a canned answer because I think I might have learned more from your thought process than if you had said, yes, yeah, choosing this, this annotation with this value and this. Right, Go. right, right. Cool. Yeah. Well, that's something I don't know how to do. So we'll see if we can uh, get a tutorial together on that. Um, so I'm going to come back up. I know we had marked a couple. I want to go through this one. Um, nope, that's not it, is it? Uh, let me go back to... Um, sorry. Um, I think it was this one. There are some good questions. Could you provide a guideline on migrating Spring Boot application with data JPA to GraphQL? <clears throat> so the good news is you don't have to migrate anything. So you're saying data JPA, which I am guessing you're using a REST API with this. Um, so yeah, so you have everything in place to create this API in GraphQL. You're just going to create a new controller. So this is going to be a controller. And it's pretty much going to be a lot of the same code in that controller. The only thing different is you now need to create a GraphQL schema. So this schema is basically what am I going to make available in this API? So the products example, maybe there's 100 fields in the products.java uh, entity, right? But in the schema, we're only making like five or six fields available in the API. That's why we call it a schema first approach because you create the schema. We're not generating schema from those model files. So you're just creating a schema and a controller. Uh, once those two things are in place, you have all the kind of architecture plumbing in place to, to create an API. The only thing I would say to that too is 
a lot of, I've gotten some questions around, can I stand up a GraphQL API and a REST API at the same time? And I think for, for trying things out and for evaluation, sure. I think long-term though, you really wanna have one or the other. This is not a like side-by-side -side because it, and again, it depends. Are, are, you, are you a GitHub? If you're a GitHub, okay, maybe you've had some REST APIs in the past and you're moving towards a, a GraphQL API and you wanna be able to support both of those clients, sure. But, but if you're not a GitHub and you don't need to kind of backport and, and serve those REST APIs still, then you really want to move towards GraphQL and let REST go. And you've worked with customers. We will both worked with, with organizations that do have that legacy, legendary heritage REST API that they do have to support for now, that they do have to keep up and operational, but they're looking, they've already felt the pain of having to go and create those custom endpoints. And they're looking, how do I, how do I get to this new place where I don't have to do that for that expanding number of clients that they're going to face, that they know that they're going to face. So we have had those conversations. And yeah, it's a good idea to take a look at what's at stake, what are the benefits, don't do it just because it's there. But yeah, the migration story, it's going to be different for everybody. Mm -hmm. All right. <clears throat> Would be great before you go into code or some details of GraphQL to explain when it should be used, pros and cons versus other options. So yeah, I think I've I've gone into kind of the why and the when when you find yourself creating all of these like custom endpoints for different clients and different needs, um, being able to kind of flip that onus on them and say here's here's an endpoint you get to ask us for whatever information you want instead of us kind of tailoring everything out. Pros and cons. Um, I, I can't I don't have a list in front of me, but. Like everything, there are pros to GraphQL and cons to it. Um, there are some things that, that you need to deal with. Um, and I think um, I don't, you know, once we get into like a federated GraphQL API, um, there becomes some challenges there. There's an N plus one issue that there isn't an answer for in, in Spring for GraphQL. Um, versioning obviously is never easy across REST or GraphQL, so yeah. There are some pros and cons to everything. Um, it's always a decision that you need to kind of evaluate and find out if the pros outweigh the cons for you. Lots um, of good questions here. Cool. Uh, but there's one kind of similar uh, to the one that we just had. Oh, here we go. Let's, no, let's oh, do that, that one. one. Let's, let's do that one. All right. So there's another, another question. Now that you've mentioned versions, can you please provide a Git repo link showing how to set create release date for Spring Boot less than native image? This is for, I believe, the Spring Boot uh, Maven plugin. And that those are the, the updates that just came out. Yeah. And yep. how do you yep. do that for an image right. that was just created? Right. Right. So for those of us who, for those uh, on the podcast or here on the stream that weren't with us two weeks ago, I believe we talked about this. There was a new update to Spring Boot 3.1 and some of the features in there um, were, were changes to the Docker build artifact and you could change that actual created and release date. Beforehand, we used to go into Docker PS and look at all our containers and hey, this thing was created 43 years, years ago. And we know that wasn't the case. So is there a way to fix that 
prior to 3.1. Do you know of any way, Deshaun? Yes, but right. I don't know off the top of my head. Okay. So there yes. is a solution. Yes. Okay. So we will see if we can find that and we'll get back to you on that one. Um, just looking through questions here. Uh, I think we just covered that one. Is there a plan to support GraphQL Federation spec in the future? So I just mentioned that. Um, one of the challenges is if you're working with, if you want to work with GraphQL Federation, um, that is not something that's currently supported, I believe. I know there are ways to do that in Java in general, um, but I don't know if there is a way to do that um, with Spring for GraphQL. So I will need to look into that, but I, at least in everything that I've built so far, I've not had a need to do that, so I haven't even tried that. So I will dig into that and see if I can't uh, answer that in next week's show. Great, great question. If I had a t-shirt, SR, you would get one. Thank you. Is there a way to have a GraphQL endpoint without explicit schema, but with Java Pojos? No. So again, it's it was an intentional, intentional um, architecture decision that Spring for, Spring for GraphQL starts with a schema first approach. You could certainly write your own generator. You could use something like Spring Shell to do this. You could easily generate a schema. I mean, again, the 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 GraphQL specification there it's not there's there's not a whole lot of types, right? So based on what you need to generate, it shouldn't be that difficult. And there's probably something out there to do that already. Um, but I think you know we started with that schema first approach because it makes sense. We don't want to just automatically think that if you have a hundred fields in your products entity, that we want to expose all of those in the schema. Um, so I found it, you know, and, and again, take this with a grain of salt because the things that I build are demos and simple, you know, things that I've created for uh, conference talks. But in my uh, experience, creating schemas uh, has not been difficult. So the answer is no, but you could easily write something to say, hey, look at my entity, what fields are in there? How do I create a schema from that? That should not be that difficult. Um, okay. Um, did we get to this one? We did. So, That's a good question. Another question here. Does GraphQL provide higher performance against of JPGL? Um, higher performance. So... Again, I'm I'm not sure. So it's JPGL. So, yeah, I don't. I'm, I'm guessing JQL, maybe. Um, so maybe that's maybe you can um, kind of. Here's the thing about GraphQL and performance. Old way, call my multiple services and glue them together based on IDs and references. The new way is make one call and let that all happen behind the scenes, behind the controller, behind the schema, all of the, uh, hey, this user connected to this address or this phone number, et cetera, versus calling user, then get their addresses, then get their phone number. Those types of benefits are massive at scale. Yeah, and I'd say nothing changes at the database level, right? I, I don't think that you would ask, 
how's the performance of a REST API against Spring Data JPA, right? Your, the REST API is, is inconsequential when it comes to the performance of Spring Data, right? The, the REST API is just a mechanism to call that down the line. And GraphQL is the same way. We're hitting a controller. The controller is, is saying, hey, I need some data. I am going to um, ask some repository somewhere to get that data for me. So it's, it's not connected or tied to a GraphQL API or a REST API. So performance really is still on the onus of your database. How are you, how are you writing these like queries? Your, you know, do you have anything that you would normally do in an application to uh, fine tune performance of a database? That still is the same thing. Yeah. Good question. Right, another another question. Another pro GDPR, which is a hot topic in the EU, at least data minimization and knowing where you send users' data. The data yeah. minimization is also another performance piece. Yep. Right. You only get what you want. Sending it, we you know some of us have experience of doing the uh, projections where hey yeah I'm going to send back just these elements even though I had to query against it all I'm only going to send these elements over the wire. Right. Yeah. Another benefit out of the box so yeah i am um i'm a big fan of graphql um big fan of yeah i've gotten a lot of great questions uh from from people at conference talks from customers hey we're using graphql this way how can i i had the question about federation and graphql so i i don't think the entire story is written yet for spring for graphql we're still on what one dot two uh is that what we're on where are we i always think of how nice it would have been to have spring for graphql how much pain and trouble and toil and scar tissue would i have saved if i had that but then Right, that's the way it is with all the new technology. Like, oh, this would have been so great eight years ago or nine years ago. But then the question is, if I had this technology eight years ago, would I still have used it? We have all of these great options out in front of us. And sometimes it's still hard to figure out what's the right way to do this thing. So instead of asking, what can this technology do? I would rather hear, I'd rather ask the question like, what's the situation, what's the use case what are you trying to accomplish? And let's see if we can bring you a good solution. Having our yep. heads wrapped around a few more of these projects. Yep. So yeah, um, that's kind of a high level overview or introduction to Spring for GraphQL. Again, if you have questions about it, please let us know. If you are using GraphQL or want to use GraphQL and you have questions about like you know, we, we've gone over why, but if you have questions about your specific scenarios, let us know. These are definitely the things that we want to hear from you. Uh, if you're hesitant about using a particular project because you're not sure of something, this is what we're here for. Let us be your guinea pigs. We can uh, answer your questions. We can put some demos together for you. That's what we, uh, that's what, that's what I love doing. So happy to help. Happy to help. That's what we're here for. Let us know so, how things are going. So yeah, Spring for GraphQL 1.1.4 was released tomorrow, was, will be released tomorrow, and Spring for GraphQL 1.2.0. 
Um, so I know there's been a lot of really exciting changes um, in the last couple of releases, and maybe I will try and get to putting a video together on that. All right. Well, wonderful. Another solid episode. <laughs> Hopefully it was valuable. Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully it was valuable. I know I learned some stuff. Hopefully it was valuable. We had great questions. As always, this community is great. Let us know what you're working on. Send us a tweet. Ask, send your address. Get your stickers at stickers at springofficehours.io. Just email us your address. That's the most important thing. Make sure the address is what we should put on the envelope, and we'll get them out to you ASAP. And if you see Deshaun running in Barcelona or me running in Dallas, stop us on the street. Ask us a question. We'll be happy to just stop running and answer your questions. Yes. That's what we love to do. I hope right. to see some of our spring office hours community. Oh, you will in, for sure. Yes. In Barcelona this week. This week. Ba Barcelona. I haven't packed yet. I'm going to pack. As soon as I hang up, I'm going to go pack. I have a nice and early flight. Nice and early. Uh, I get, I get, a, I got a little bit less. I, I have a really small suitcase because it's a quick trip for me. So, um, cool. So we will be back next week on Tuesday. Yes. Again, we are planning. Um, I, I have a list of probably the next ten or so uh, spring office hours episodes that we're going through, trying to make sure that we have these all ready to go for you. Um, so if you have questions. Get them in. I forgot to mention this at the beginning. Again, springofficehours.io. You can visit that. That will take you to the Tanzu Developer Center. You can get all of the previous episodes. You can watch those, listen to them. You can also ask us a question. There's a button on there. Ask us a question. If you have a question and you don't want to be on the live stream and you just want us to answer it, that's a great place to do it. We will try and answer your questions in an upcoming episode. Uh, with that, I hope everyone has a great week and we will see you next week. Thank you, everyone. Take care. See you soon.